And this morning we get a taste. Just a taste of what it will be like to be gathered in a heavenly realm with the millions and billions of people who have professed faith in Jesus Christ and who get the privilege of looking to God the Father and singing of his goodness. Today it is our great privilege to wish you a happy Father's Day. You are our Father. Your goodness is constantly shown to us. You do not let us down. You're always there for us. And we are grateful. We are not overlooked. We are not unloved. We are not abandoned in every possible way. You are the best father a child could ever have. Thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us when we mess up. Thank you for loving us when we're dumb. Thank you for loving us in, in every moment. And, and thank you for those moments that you just smile because your kid got it right. Thanks for letting us be like you. You made us in your image, and it is a privilege to reflect who you are to all the world. We couldn't even have this conversation without your son, Jesus. Thank you for his death, burial, and resurrection. I'm thankful that he was obedient to you, willing to listen to you, to go through the torment and the punishment so that we could be your kids too. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat, please. What a great way to start Father's Day morning. And here is my kid who's giving us a tremendous privilege this week. Yeah. <laughs> we get to babysit our grand puppy. For a full week, Griffey will be at our house. I got to admit. Yeah, happy Father's Day for that. I, oh, thank you. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little nervous. Uh, he's, he's come and gone in the past. He's going to be staying the night. We heard the other day what he does when he hears a siren. He likes to imitate sirens, so he does the woo. So I'm yep. hoping for that about 3 in the morning. Yeah. We'll see how that goes. But it should be a lot of fun. You're off to North Carolina for your sister-in-law's yeah. wedding. I'm officiating my cool. sister-in-law's. And very, yeah. very good. So that, so that should be really good. It was really funny uh, this morning. I said that we were dropping Griffey off at your house. Riley's actually over prepping the house and everything. And, <laughs> and Brandon looked at me. He goes, your mom still got those white carpets? And, uh, I was like, yeah, but they want new carpet anyway. So <laughs> forcing it to happen. It'll, so. it'll be a very, very fun week. So, yeah. And you had a good week this week. You recovered from Green Lake. You're breathing. Yeah, I think everybody, like our whole team, everybody seemed to be breathing last night at, at Naya's graduation party, even though I'm still pulling out pocketfuls, oh, Adam funny. Brooks and Jared Beaker, uh, pocketfuls of decorations or whatever. Uh, but yeah, it seems like everybody is, is rested and ready to go to ramp it back up for camp. Yes, yes. And camp, camp is right around the corner. So we've got a few things for you on that that are really important. Uh, one is that all these volunteers that come together and help throughout the week, we like to keep them well fed. And, and making sure that throughout the day they have a, they have a snack to go and grab. And so in the, in the update that went out, we actually sent it out Friday. We know for some of you, you don't check your email on Saturday. 
And so we thought we'd try Friday, see if you'd look at it at work or whatever instead. So you got a nice long uh, snack list there of things that, that could be really helpful. And then, and then we're asking for helium too. Do you know what the helium is for? I don't. But, I don't either. Uh, I don't I think it's just imagine. for like Mickey Mouse voices. <laughs> but anyway, if you can bring helium tanks, that would be great as well. And down at the bottom, we mentioned that we were going to have a, a, a pre-prayer uh, prayer list for everybody today. And the more I thought about it, I'd like to take the approach instead of sending that electronically each day. Because as the week unfolds, uh, new things come up that, that, really, that really need prayer, sometimes urgent, immediate prayer. So every day we'll be sending you an email and, and we'll have that posted online as well for you to go ahead and pray with us as we prepare for this great week. Can I just share, like, that? that is so cool and so powerful. Even if you aren't able to be a part of camp, um, we had a team of people get together while we were at Green Lake. Oh, man. And that was just, amazing. Just sit out in the front room. I mean, it was just shy of 20 people. And we, we got a picture uh, of the people praying. It was just such, like, it was so encouraging because we were actually moving. dealing with something at camp that was just kind of like, really, do we have to do this? right now, and then we saw, you know, the people are praying for us in the moment, and it, just, it gave us that, that strength, that encouragement that we needed. So that's a, that's a really cool thing to it's a, it's a, be able It's to a do. vital ministry, and so many people, I think, just look at prayer as like, yeah, whatever, that's right. something else. No, prayer is it. Mm-hmm. That it. It's vital. We need that. So we come, what, two weeks from now will be 4th of July, right? Two weeks? Did I yeah. have that right? I know. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Woo! Yeah. So uh, we're, we're continuing our Sundays on the berm, so 4th of July, we're outside, We'll be doing a picnic again, just like we did last time, so we ask you to bring some food to share and a lawn chair, and again, just to remind you on that day, that's the only service that we hold that day, so 10.30 outside, we don't do a 9 o'clock or an 8 o'clock that day, 10.30 outside, and, um, and if weather happens, well, weather always happens, so, you know, we'll, we'll enjoy the weather, we'll figure it out as we go. So. And that'll be cool, too, because it'll be freshly stomped from camp. Yes, so. exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah, there won't be cool. any grass to worry about, yeah. so... Um, anything student-wise going on? We are going to take a break through camp with me not being here and then camp the following week. Uh, neither Refuge nor Revive will meet until day camp is over. So we're getting a little bit of a break for everybody just to kind of recenter and, and get everything going. So Good deal. <laughs> what are the different ways we can give? You the different ways them? you can give. There's a black box on the back as, on, as you head out the door. Uh, you can drop your... your paper offering in there, your checks, whatever, or you can go through the app. The app is amazing. Uh, it's the easiest, literally. I mean, you could log in right now, have it done in 10 seconds, um, this, and that's, so that's the way that I've moved to, uh, but again, as always, we thank you so much for, uh, for carrying us and for, for your generosity through everything. It's really cool. So yeah. we, we have mentioned that it is Father's Day today, and I, I was looking for some uh, fun video to share about Father's Day. It's funny how these, the, um, the production companies that do church videos, the Mother's Day videos are always so serious, and so we love you, Mom. <laughs> and the dad ones are always so fun and silly. And, and so I found a wonderful, fun, silly one for us in Good. order to celebrate Father's Day right now. Let's go watch. If you're still struggling with life in the real world, you're going to love our latest home speaker device. Hey, Dad, what kind of pliers should I use on this? Uh, you should be using a wrench. Oh, do I have a wrench? You have three. Ah, thanks, Dad. Introducing the Dad Personal Assistant, our newest smart speaker with all the character and compassion of a father. 
up and at him. It's a beautiful day. Dad, it's Saturday. Yeah, it's a great day to get outside. It's 6 a.m. Well, then you better get moving before it gets any later. Design with advanced features, the Dad PA connects to all your other smart home devices. Dad, please set the thermostat to 70 degrees. No problem. Setting the thermostat to 68 degrees. Um, no, let's keep it at 70 degrees. Sure thing. Thanks, Dad. We're going to save so much money. He syncs with your calendar to help you stay on track. Looks like you're overdue for an oil change. Oh, hey, you're right. Can you schedule one for Friday? I've already got it scheduled. Just don't miss it, okay? <laughs> okay, I won't. <laughs> Seriously, don't miss it. The Dad PA is always watching out for you. Lights on. Uh, hey, it's getting late. I think it's about time for Brad to head home. Uh, Dad? The Dad Personal Assistant includes a wealth of knowledge and opinions on a wide variety of subjects. Dad, can you help me with my taxes? Dad, do you know a good mechanic? Hey, Dad, can you tell me a joke? Sure. The joke is one billion dollars. Yeah, I don't get it. That's right. And you never will. Ah, nice one. <laughs> oh, I'm hilarious. Based on God's original design, the Dad Personal Assistant is wise, caring, faithful, and devoted. Don't worry. You've got this. You are the strongest person I know. You have made me so proud. You are God's child, and you don't need anyone else to complete you, especially not Brad. Really, Dad? I'm just saying, there's other fish in the sea. Okay, wow. The Dad Personal Assistant. Always thoughtful, always dependable, and always there for you. All right, so I want to pray again. And God, as we watch this humorous video and we think about fathers, we realize that sometimes uh, we do have a tendency to turn to our dads only in times that we need something, not in times that we just want to enjoy them, and we do the same thing to you. We, we come to you, and um, we want and we need, we need advice, we need an item, we need you to answer our prayer and we don't always come to you and just enjoy you. I pray that you would teach us what it means to enjoy the presence of our Father. To come into your presence and, and not list any needs or desires except the desire to sit in your lap and be in your presence. To love you and to be loved by you. Teach us what it means to enjoy our Father. We pray this again in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we started a series a couple weeks ago for June. We're calling it Always Discerning. We think that discernment is one of the things right now in uh, American life, particularly in the American church's life, that is, that's uh, profoundly lacking. We, we've come to a place that we don't always uh, know the difference between right and wrong, good and evil. More and more, we buy into the values of our culture, and we're not necessarily listening to the culture, the values of the Word of God. And in fact, when we read the Word of God and it says something that, that counters our culture, we will more quickly question the Bible's validity than question the validity of whatever the talking head in culture might be talking, telling us. And, and as we've looked at the first couple of weeks, we, we've looked especially at the idea that we need to, we need to have the courage not just to, to speak the truth. I think it's very important to speak the truth, no doubt. We need to have the courage personally to believe the truth. 
We need to have the courage to, to look at what the Word of God says and say, I believe that no matter what anyone else thinks, no matter what anybody else says, I believe what the Word of God has to say. So as we look at this concept of, of always discerning and discerning the will of God, we find that the will of God really breaks down into uh, two major categories. And the first one is the one that we've looked at these first two weeks. That's understanding uh, God's moral desires. What are, what are the commands that he gives? What, what's the right and the wrong? What's the good and the bad? What are the things that we're supposed to do? So when we say, I want to follow the will of God, one thing we might be saying is, I want to do what God commands. I want to do the right thing. I want to avoid the wrong thing. But the reality is when most of us talk about knowing the will of God, we're not talking about knowing what is right or what is wrong in a moral sense, but instead we're looking at knowing the next step we're supposed to take. What, what, what is God's desire for me? Who am I supposed to marry? Where am I supposed to go to college? What job am I supposed to take on? All those kinds of, of questions come up, and we want to do what our Father wants us to do. We want to follow His desires in His ways. So we have the moral desires. We dealt with those the first two weeks. Now we're going to move to what we might call the vocational desires. And as I use the word vocation, I realize that in the modern American context, I say vocation, you think career. But I want you to think more broadly than simply the word career. Really, God's vocational desires have to do with all the roles that we play in life and all the decisions that we have to make. So, so one of my vocations is that of father. One of my vocations is that of neighbor. One of my vocations is that of pastor. I just start looking at all the different roles that I play in life, and I realize that, that God has desires for all of those roles, and I want to live into whatever his desires are. So when we talk about knowing the will of God, more often than not, we're talking in terms of God, what's the next step you want me to take in life? So you may be at a point of a, of a major decision and you're trying to figure out, God, where do you want to take me? What do you want to do? You know, how, how am I supposed to live? Hopefully these next two weeks will break down some of the pieces of being able to make those vocational desires. And I think when we look at the Bible and we look at, at, the, at the vocational decisions that people made, we tend to think that Bible characters really had it far better than us. Because every Bible character had a burning bush, right? Every Bible character was walking along and all of a sudden something was, was calling out to them, Moses, Moses. And, 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 and we wonder, you know, where, when we become a believer, why aren't we given a, you know, a burning bonsai or something that we can hear from and it can tell us what we're supposed to be doing throughout life? I, I think that there's a piece of the Bible that we need to understand, and that is that... Uh, God did, on occasion, speak to people directly. He spoke to Moses. He spoke to others. But even for someone like Moses, God was not second by second, minute by minute, telling him, oh, today you should, today you should eat an egg. Or, you know, today you should put those sandals on or whatever. There were decisions he was making in life that God was not giving him some direct command, vocal command. And so we've got to look and understand that there were certainly times that God spoke to his people that way. 
But even to the people that are listed in the Bible that God spoke to, it wasn't this constant, every decision they ever made was being audibly told, here's the next step you have to take. In many ways, they had to make decisions the same way we do. Also, as you look at the Bible, you realize that while God did speak directly to several characters, there are countless characters that never received that direct word, just like us. Just like us. We don't have that, that constant burning bush telling us the next move that we're supposed to make. So, so how are we supposed to know that we're doing what God wants if God isn't saying, do this, don't do that? How do we know? How can we be certain that we're walking in the will of God? When I was growing up, it was common to use the term living in the, the center of the will of God, as if there was a target and you could hit the target every time. How in the world do we know God's vocational desires for our lives? So, I'd like to look this morning at Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, we have the Apostle Paul walking through a season of ministry. And as he's walking through this season of ministry, he's making several decisions. And what I love about this is that he gives us at least five examples of ways that God prompts us and shows us how we can discern the vocational will of God for our lives. So you go to Acts chapter 16, starting with verse 1, it says, Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was Greek. It says the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. So what he decides is that he wants to take on Timothy as a mentee, someone who he will, he will train and ultimately will pastor one of the churches that Paul founded. So he, he's in this process. He wants to choose the right person, wants to make a great selection. I don't know about you, but when you're, when you're in the process of choosing a partner, a ministry partner, that's the kind of thing that it would be really helpful for God to, to give a name. Paul, go find Timothy. Bring him along. And yet when we look at this part of the passage, we don't see God directing Paul and saying, Timothy is the man. This is the man you're supposed to go after. In fact, what we see basically is that Paul knew of Timothy, who knew who he was, and some people had actually said, this is a commendable guy. This is a, this is a guy that would, be, that would be worthy of taking on as someone to mentor and mold in ministry. So this gives us just one example of the way Paul went about making a vocational ministry. Who is the person with whom I'm supposed to partner? And he gives us this example right here. Now, you keep going in the story, and it's interesting because, because Paul makes this decision. Because Timothy is of a, of a Greek father and a Jewish mother, he had not been circumcised. And you could look at this one and go, wait a second, here's a, here's a moral decision. What's he going to do? Well, part of the, the ceremonial law was changing at this point. Circumcision was required in the Old Testament, not required in the New Testament. And during this, during this season, it's kind of a, it's a controversial thing. The Greeks are saying it's not necessary for salvation. We want nothing to do with it. The, the, the Jewish believers are saying we should still be doing this. And, and there was confusion as to what the role should be. And I love what Paul does here. Paul just takes the argument off the table. 
He knows that he's going to be going to people who are going to question this and whatever, and so he just says, we're going to take the argument off the table altogether. And I love, again, the fact that he doesn't get like this direct word from the Lord, this is what you're supposed to do. But he uses, he uses the wisdom God has given him and the experience he has with people in order to make a really good decision. And as you go along, you see that they experience success in the places they go. You come to verse 6, and I, I love this because now, now there's this shift in the discerning of the will of God. It says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. What in the world is going on there? It says, the Holy Spirit literally kept them from going to a place. We might refer to that as a closed door. That we're trying to figure out, God, where do you want to go? And in some way, the Spirit had made clear, you're not supposed to go over there. I wish we knew more of, of how that worked. Did he literally audibly hear from the Holy Spirit? Wasn't an impression he had? What, what was it? But, but Paul ultimately, and the, the, the writer of Acts, Luke, lets us know that there was a determination on the part of the Holy Spirit. This is not where I want you to go right now. It says, when they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So I love this. Paul is Paul's wanting to do a good thing. He's wanting to go share the gospel. He tries this door, closed. The Holy Spirit has closed it. He tries this door, boom, Holy Spirit has closed it. And, he, and he's trying to figure out, what am I supposed to do? He's receiving this, this supernatural direction. He's not sure. And so it says, during the night, Paul had a vision. So he's laying, and he, and he has a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia to help him. So he has this supernatural vision of a man from Macedonia, and he says, it's come to Macedonia. It's important to come here to minister. Now, verse 10 is so important. It says, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Here's what I love about this. Paul receives this vision, but if I'm understanding this correctly, Paul does not simply go to the others and say, I got a vision, pack our bags, let's go. What that verse tells me is they spent some time together in community talking about the vision. They had spent some time together talking and saying, what do you think this vision means? Paul didn't somehow authoritatively just say, I had a vision, we're going to do this, but the decision was actually made in a spirit of community. They came together and discerned what it was that God was saying talking to him like, okay, Paul, I don't think you just had a bad piece of fish. I don't think it was just a, a weird dream. This actually sounds like God is speaking to us, and we've had a door closed here and a door closed here, and now we hear about an open door. Let's go. And so they go. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight on through. They're sailing along. They get to Philippi, this Roman colony, part of Macedonia, and it says they stayed there for several days. Now, the Sabbath comes, and because they're in a Gentile land, there's not a synagogue to go to, right? So they go outside the city gate to the river, and they were looking for a place to pray. They sit down, and they begin to speak to the women who are gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth, expensive linens. She was a worshiper of God, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So she had been a worshiper of God, and now she realizes Jesus is the way to God. 
And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she, in, she invited us to come to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. A piece of what I love that happens here is that Paul and his group determine that the vision is of God. They're supposed to go to Macedonia. They go to Macedonia, and immediately they start to see fruit. Immediately they start to see the fruit of their labor. And one of the ways that we determine the vocational will of God is, is there fruit? Is fruit taking place? This decision that I believe God wanted me to make, is something actually happening? Now, this is, it's really important to hear this. When it comes to fruit, we've got to be a little bit careful. I think fruit is a secondary confirmation, not a primary. There are lots of ministries that look really successful. Numbers alone, right? People will count and they'll say, look at all the numbers. Certainly this is of God. We've got to be careful to automatically assume that just because something looks successful, that it is successful. Having said that, we can, from time to time, as we're trying to determine the will of God, ask ourselves the question, is there fruit? Because what does John tell us? We're told in, in John about the vine and the branches that we will bear much fruit, fruit that will last. So that's an affirmation that they're following the will of God. Now, next verse is really interesting because it's Sabbath time again, and they go off to their place to pray. And they meet a female servant who has a spirit by which she predicted the future. It is not long reading this that we realize this spirit could be interpreted as a demon, an evil spirit. This is not a spirit from God, and she's going around interpreting the future and says she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. So there's some people profiting off the fact that she's possessed by a demon that's able to tell the future. It says she followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. We saw this with Jesus as well, right? that demon-possessed people would actually identify him as the Son of God, and Jesus would have to say, hey, be quiet, just stop speaking. So here this girl, she's doing this, she's saying, they're the servants of the Most High God. I love this, verse 18, it says, she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her, and at that moment, the Spirit left. Now we have Jesus who, when he comes across a demon-possessed person, the Bible says he was moved with compassion and he removes the evil spirit. Paul, Paul's just ticked off. Would you be quiet? Boom. Done. Over. I, I love that you hear this piece of Paul's personality. It's just like, I'm sick of this girl doing this. Get out of her. Let's go. So they remove the evil spirit. Well, that does not actually turn out really well. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. 
So we just talked about Lydia coming to Christ and how fruit can be evidence of, you know, yes, I'm pursuing the will of God. What do you say when all of a sudden you find yourself thrown in jail for doing what you thought to be the right thing? Is it possible that they were not following the will of God at this time because they came up against opposition, because they came up against some form of oppression? What we find is that there are times that we actually know we're doing the right thing because of the way evil is responding. Because of the way evil is responding to us, we can go, you know what? This is exactly what God is calling us to do. To the point that you know this story so well. Our kids are going to see this story not too long from now. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. I don't know about you. I'm thrown in prison. I'm probably not singing, right? I'm I'm worrying. I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get out of here. What did I do wrong? They're praying and singing hymns to God. The other prisoners are listening to them. They're actually having this, this opportunity to share the gospel through singing and praying. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and at once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword out and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. This, this, was, this was a problem for a prison guard. Prisoners escape, you don't just lose your job, you lose your life. Paul says, don't harm yourself, we are all here, we haven't gone anywhere. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas, and then you have these beautiful words that, that, my goodness, they just, they ring the gospel story. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What do I need to do to be saved? And they say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved in your household. How many times has that verse been used to lead someone to Jesus? What was the context of that verse being given? They were thrown in prison. They were in prison. I'll guarantee you, when Paul and Silas woke that day, they didn't go, agenda item. Let's see if we can get thrown in prison. It would be great to witness to the jailer. They had no plan of that. That that wasn't the approach they wanted to take. God had a mission for them. And everything works together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose, even when we look and say, what happened here? This isn't right. This is messed up. God used it not only to bring the jailer to Christ, but thousands and millions of people have come to Christ through that very verse, through that very invitation. It says, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to the others in the house and at the hour of the night, and at that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before him. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Amazing moment. So looking at this part of, of Acts chapter 16 we see at least five ways that God helps us to determine the vocational will of God. What's the thing he wants me to do today? What's the direction he wants me to take? Whether it is broad life mission or even just the step I'm supposed to take in this very day, in this very moment, what is it God is calling me to do? How do we discern the will of God? The first one is is probably one of the most common And one of the most important, and that is that we simply deploy wisdom. Here's what I love that's so beautiful. We we prayed at the beginning of the service talking about the fact that we are created in the image of God. Being people who are created in the image of God, we have actually been given his ability to think. 
his ability to reason, his, his ability to understand a situation. We've been given the ability as, as volitional beings to make decisions, and God loves when his kids can put it all together and make a good decision. We shouldn't always just be waiting for a burning bush to speak. Sometimes we simply say, God, is this a wise decision or not? You see, because most of the decisions we're making in life as believers are not the decisions between right and wrong. They're decisions between good, better, and best. And God has actually given you the wisdom to make great decisions. Beyond that, he's given you the freedom to make great decisions. As long as there's not something morally forbidding what you're supposed to do, God gives us wide open freedom. Wide open freedom, just like Adam and Eve. Do you remember what he said to Adam and Eve? Don't eat from that tree over there. All the rest have at it. All the rest have at it. And God gives us the privilege of employing wisdom to make really, really good decisions. How do we gain wisdom? Well, we gain wisdom in part by reading his word constantly, by getting to know God's desires. And so we start to get that. We gain, we gain wisdom by living in community, by talking to other believers. We gain wisdom through prayer. The Bible literally says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let them ask of God. We gain wisdom through life experiences. I don't know about you, there are some things now I've done 40 times in life. And guess what? They always work the same way. I've figured out the pattern. I've figured out the way it works. This is the way it works. And that's wisdom when you're able to apply. Okay, I've seen the way this works before. It's probably going to work that way again. All these things come together to help us to understand how to make really good decisions. Having said that, we did see the part in Paul, not just a wisdom decision. Hey, you know, Timothy seems like a wise choice. Let's choose him as a, as a, as a mentee. But we also saw supernatural prompting. We saw this idea of the Spirit saying literally, don't go there, don't go there, don't go there. Here's a vision, open door, let's go. There are times that God will give us a prompting a prompting that we're supposed to do something or not supposed to do something, a supernatural moment that he will, that he will let us know, hey, this is, this is the direction that I want you to take. These are rare. They're rare. They don't happen often. And having said that, there are times that we have such, a, such an intense prompting from the Spirit that we know, we know, even defying sometimes what seems like common wisdom, we know this is the direction that God wants us to take. I, I'm amazed when these, when these promptings come in my life, more often than not, I don't recognize them until after they've happened. I'll, I'll have a moment, I literally had a moment in the last few weeks, I'm not kidding, where um, I woke up one day and I said, oh, I've got to tell Kim about something because I know this is probably going to come up sometime in the near future and I wanted to be prepared for it, right? So I woke up, had that thought. A little later in the day, I was like, oh man, that thing, I got to share with Kim. I got, this is really important. I got to share this with Kim. I'm not kidding. Third time, a little later day, it happened again. By this point, I should have called and shared, right? And I didn't. I'm not kidding. I got home and she said, guess what happened today? And it was exactly the thing that I'd been prompted about three times that particular day. There are times that the Spirit is actually saying, dude, dude, 
There's something I want you to do. Wake up. And it's amazing how sometimes we don't recognize that the Spirit of God is the one prompting us to do that. The Bible says that Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And as we walk with God and walk with His Spirit, we start to recognize when a prompting is coming from the Spirit of God. The third way that, that uh, the will of God is determined is, is one that I think a lot of believers ignore, and that is group discernment. Two times in this passage, Paul relies on others and says, what do you think? I mean, we have Timothy, right? Where it literally says, the believers thought this was a good choice. They recommended him. They commended him to other people. And then, and then later on in the passage, once again, we have this vision, and Paul doesn't just assume privately, I know what this vision means, but he, within the context of community, says, what do you all think? Too often we do not rely on biblical community when it comes to making decisions. We make decisions in isolation, we keep everybody else out of the process, and then we pronounce, this is my plan. And God wants us more and more to process things in the context of community. We're going to spend a lot more time talking about that one next week. The fourth one, fruitful outcomes. There are times that we know that we are doing what God wants because we can see the fruit. And honestly, sometimes when we, when we see the fruit drying up, we can start to get that sense that God's, God's not, this isn't what God is directing me to do at this time. Now, like I said before, this one's secondary, all right? This one, I can't always see fruit as a primary prompter, but when all the other things are coming together, I can look at fruitfulness and say, there's something good going on here. I believe this is part of the calling of God on my life at this stage. Then the final one, when you come to them being hauled off to jail, we're going to call that a circumstantial disruption. I love when I have a plan, and all of a sudden my plan is completely derailed to the point that I go, this almost feels evil. You know, it feels like somebody, somebody purposely threw something in the road and has derailed my life. Because often in those moments of derailing, God is actually using the derailment to get me where he wanted me that I never would have gone on my own. I never would have gone to that place on my own. I mentioned uh, a couple weeks ago, about Kim's dad when we were living in St. Louis. So this is, you know, 25 years plus that we're living in St. Louis and, and he, gets, he gets this diagnosis from the doctor that he's got polyps all over his liver and he's not going to live very long. And he went on to live for another 25 years. The doctors saw the polyps. They didn't understand what the polyps meant. What that did mean for them is they, they spent some time in the hospital when they would not have normally spent some time in the hospital. And one of those days in the hospital, my mother-in-law is there and gets the opportunity to talk to a man who is about to face eternity. He's about to lose his life. And she gets the chance to share the gospel with him, and he became a believer. She would not have been at the hospital that day if not for polyps on the liver. How many times has God used what you view to be just an absolutely unfortunate diversion to actually have you in the exact place he wanted you to do something that you could only do in that place in that moment. 
We can't always look at bad circumstances and say, oh, the devil's after me right now. Could it possibly be that God is using a point of disruption, of circumstantial disruption to get us where he wants us? So, if you're at a point of, super, uh, of circumstantial disruption in your life right now, you know, the foundations are shaking a little bit, rather than viewing yourself as being cursed, might you actually start looking and saying, God, what are you up to? Because I'm just kind of wondering if you're not trying to put me somewhere that I never would have chosen to go on my own. Hopefully this starts to lay out some of the pieces of understanding this part of the vocational will of God. How do I understand the steps God wants me to take? Next week we're going to talk about faith, feelings, friends, and facts. And how faith, feelings, friends, and facts all come together to help us to determine the next vocational step that God has for us. And so, Lord in heaven, I pray today that as we look at our lives, the first thing that would be true is that we would sincerely desire to please you and do what you want. That that would be, that would be a piece of our deepest calling. That we would realize we do not exist for ourselves. We don't exist simply for our own fulfillment or our own satisfaction. We don't exist simply for our own agenda. You placed us here to be your hands and your feet in the world. You have vocations that you want us to pursue, roles and decisions that you want us to make. And I pray that we would live in such, such close communion with you that we would recognize the times that you are giving us the wisdom to be able to make a good decision. That, that we would we'd be able to recognize the times that we're actually getting, we're getting a prompting from the Holy Spirit. We're getting, we're getting a tug at the heart. We're, we're being told this is the direction you want us to go. We, we pray that you will help us to see the times that there is such tremendous fruit that it's undeniable. Your blessing is upon us in this. And Lord, I pray too, that in those moments of disruption, when that accident happens, whatever might happen, that rather than simply seeing the curse of the moment, we'd see that right now you might be placing us in the exact place we would not have been. We never would have chosen to be there, but you put us there for your honor and glory. And Lord God, I pray that you would help us to rely more and more on our brothers and sisters in Christ in the process of group discernment, to make great decisions in community, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. And so as we sing, we're going to be moving to communion this morning. I want to invite you to, to celebrate again uh, the love of your Father, God in heaven, who loved you so much that he couldn't bear the thought of eternity without you. You were living in separation from God, because of your sin, and God was not willing that anyone should perish, but that everyone should come to repentance. He gave us his son Jesus to die so that we could have eternal life, and we have to turn to him, and we have to believe. We have to choose, and many here have done that, and now we get the privilege of going to communion and being reminded that it was the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus that paid for our sins. 
So as we begin to sing, I encourage you to walk to one of the stations around the room. We have two at the front of the room. We have two at the back of the room, as well as the gluten-free stations on the side of the platform and one in the back. Go ahead and get communion and enjoy singing to your Father this morning. So you know I love all of you, but thanks for making me a dad. I love you, all of you. There's a line I learned many years ago. I love it. It says, behold God beholding you and smiling. Think about that. Behold God beholding you and smiling. I think what most kids are looking for from their dad is a smile. A smile that says, I love you. A smile that says, you're okay. A smile that says, you got it right. Looking for an approving smile. Behold God beholding you and smiling. Why do you not see the smile? Maybe you don't see the smile because you refuse to look. You're afraid of what you'll see. He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. Maybe you don't see the smile because right now you're doing something that doesn't make him happy. He's not going to smile. Until you say, I'm sorry. And fix it. And receive his forgiveness. And his face is going to glow. But I think for most of us, we don't see the smile because we don't think he smiles. Because we think he's an ogre and a grump who's just looking to rob us of life. The words are true. Not just the words of a creative songwriter. They are the words straight from the word of God. He blesses you and he loves you. And he wants to bless you. He is for you. And so God, today as we walk from this place, we look to your face for the approval that only a father can give. We see you smile. And we receive your blessing. In the name of Jesus, amen. Happy Father's Day.